All right, here we go. Here we go. Now, we've just completed our 21 days of prayer. Uh, I hope you were able to join us in that. Uh, it, was, it was a real blessing for myself, I know. Um, I want to continue in the spirit of prayer, and I, I and want you to know that your prayers matter. They really matter, both now and in eternity. And, you know, it really amazes me that God involves us in the eternity business, you know, that the things that we do here and now really matter. And they don't just matter for now, that they matter forever. That's a big deal, isn't it? That's a big deal. So uh, we're, that's, that's what prayer is about. Now, I'm going to interrupt our series on Psalm 23 uh, to just bring more emphasis on prayer and just kind of make this like a capstone on our 21 days of prayer. Lord willing, we'll get back to Psalm 23 next week when we talk about the right paths, okay? So, so now we also have our teaching on Wednesday night that's dealing with prayer, the Jesus way to pray. Uh, y'all threw me a curveball last week and you started asking a bunch of questions and, and we ended up on Pluto somewhere, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. I, I invite your questions. I really do. Um, so it, it, I don't always have the right answer, right response, but if I don't have it, we'll go find it and see if we can't search it out. So, uh, all right, let's talk about prayer. Uh, take your Bible, turn to 2 Chronicles 7.14. This is one of the more famous passages on prayer. I want to talk to you from the subject of heal our land. And Lord willing, we're going to have some prayer time following the, the, the message. All right, so now 2 Chronicles chapter 7 is, is a glorious time in the history of Israel. Okay, this is the dedication of of the temple. Remember, Moses had the tabernacle that went with them through the, their desert journeys. And then the tabernacle was brought to Jerusalem under David's leadership. And then David's son, Solomon, who became king over Israel, who was known as the wealthiest and the wisest man that's ever lived, Solomon took David's plans and David's treasury and built this fabulous thing called the temple right there in Jerusalem. Now, this is, this is a permanent structure. Uh, you can go through and read some of the dimensions and some of the, the artifacts and furniture and things like that that was put in it. I mean, this thing was bling, bling. You know what I'm talking about? This thing was really it was a wonder of the ancient world, to be honest with you. It was absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, we paint our walls with like watercolor. You know what I'm talking about? Solomon painted the walls with gold. I'm like, for real gold. I mean, the boy was not hurting at all. Okay, this, this, is a, this is an amazing time in Israel's history. This, in chapter 7, is the time of the dedication. So they've gone through all the construction process. They've gone through just getting the priest prepped up on what needs to be done and how it's going to be done, how the operations of the temple is going to take place. And this is a real high watermark in Hebrew history, okay? Solomon's dedication prayer is found in the previous chapter, in chapter 6, uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. You may want to go read some of that a little bit later. Now, here's the kicker. You know, you think Solomon's stuff is awesome. At the dedication of the temple, when the sacrifices were made for the very first time in this place, God himself causes fire to come down from heaven and he licks up the sacrifices. Bam! I mean, it's amazing. I mean, we read this stuff in words. Imagine being there. You're watching the priest go in and doing all the things, and you know this, this altar's there and all this stuff, and the priest had brought all these dedication sacrifices and laid them before God, and then, boom, lightning bolt hits the, hits the altar, fire sparks everywhere, ashes and dust. What does everybody do? They fell on their face. You know what God was saying? 
God was saying, I'm here. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Thank you for the new house. Really, that's what he was saying. This is, he shows up in a very, very dramatic way. So you kind of see not just the temple, but what sanctions the temple is the very presence of God in this form of fire. We see a similar thing happen on the day of Pentecost, don't we? When the new temple comes, which is us. See, now those were believers who went to the temple. Now we are the temple who come to worship. Does that make sense to you? Let me say it a little bit different. They went to the temple to worship. Now all the temples come, which is us. Our bodies are now the temple. So it really brings some New Testament understanding to this idea. This picture is, is, is a stepping stone of the temple, the physical building of what God really wants to do with all of humanity is not build himself a house, but build himself a people that he actually lives inside of. It's amazing. It's amazing. It begins to unfold through all the New Testament and in the book of Acts and all the way up to our history and our time and our day. All right? So now this is, this is the temple dedication. Fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice. God says, I'm pleased with this. This is good. This is good. And then, then something amazing happens as well. The glory of God. Now who knows what that looks like? I mean, it, it, it was so thick that they couldn't even uh, go about their function and, and duties in the temple. The glory of God came and filled this space in such a way that everybody just locked up and, and couldn't do anything except just stand in awe and just worship God. This is a big, big moment that happens, okay? All right. Solomon contributes to this dedication. Now, look, get this. This is, this is a serious barbecue that's happening here now. The sacrifices that Solomon brought... It says it right there in the text. 22,000 bulls. That's a whole lot of steak. 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. I figured that's 480,000 leg of lamb right there, isn't it? That's, that's some serious stuff. I mean, that's a big deal. That's, that's a huge... I mean, everybody's involved. Solomon and all of his wealth contributes... A lot. I mean, it's a sacrifice. I don't care how wealthy you are, that's a sacrifice to give that much. So this is the dedication of the temple. This is the time that, that, that 2 Chronicles 7 is written, okay? Now, after this grand celebration, okay, you ever been in a, in a grand celebration, a huge time? Well, there's always this kind of a drop, isn't it? There's always this kind of, almost from exhaustion. I, I bet Solomon is war slam out. I mean, he's, he's gone through the whole process of things. I mean, because God will wear you out. I mean, it, it, it just it absolutely, all of that stuff and dealing with all that, he's, he's kind of chilling now, okay? He goes to bed. We're not sure, I'm not sure if this is the next day. I kind of assume it is. It says in verse number 12, the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. Okay, this is one of, the, one of the several times God has appeared to him in a dream. Remember the other time he appeared to him and asked him for wisdom. He asked God for wisdom, remember? This time, God appears to Solomon in a dream, okay? And the Lord speaks to him. What he speaks to him is our text, okay? We're going to read 13 and 14 of what, he, what God says. All right, come on, stand with me while we read this. I just like you standing up for the word. We always need to get in good habit of standing up for the word, don't we? Yes. 2 Chronicles 7, 13 through 14 says this. Now, this is God speaking. This is the word of the Lord to Solomon in a dream. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain... Or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. 
if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You've heard this before. It's one of the more famous passages in prayer. If my people who are called by my name. All right. Lord, help us. Help us as we go through your word, Lord. And uh, we need understanding. We need clarity, Lord. We thank you for everything you've done for us, Jesus, in the new covenant. I pray you'd help us take these principles that you brought forth in, in, in the former covenant, Lord. And what you spoke to Solomon right here, you'd bring those things to our attention. That we can apply them to our life in a way that would please you. To where your fire would fall on us. Your glory would rest on us. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated again. Second Chronicles 7, 13, 14. All right, now verse 13. Just, just keep that up there for a second, Jonathan. God says, okay, now the idea is if you turn away from me after this high and holy time, if you turn away from me, I, I'm going to shut up heaven and there'll be no rain. Command the locusts to devour the land and send pestilence among my people. That's not good, is it? So Solomon has this grand revelation of God in the fire and the glory that's there, but then a warning comes, okay? And we need that. You know, boy said, check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's what God's doing. He's checking him right here, right? So some people have problems with that kind of stuff, and these kind of verses and these warning verses and, and judgment verses can be problems for some folks. But you know what? This is, this is what you need to understand about your Heavenly Father. He loves you enough to correct you when you're wrong. You know, it's not love when you don't correct somebody that, that, that's under your charge, like a, a parent to children. It, it's not love if you just let those kids run rampant, rampant and do what they want. It, it's not, that's, that's, that's a form of child abuse, to be honest with you. And see, God's, God's not that way. God knows that if you're off track, it's his responsibility to warn you and correct your course, if at all possible. At least he will do his part. And we've got to respond. It's, it's true that when we violate God's principles and God's laws and God's commands, that there are harsh consequences. Let me tell you about this knot I got on the back of my head right here. <laughs> you know, we all know that story to be true, don't we? That there are consequences when we disobey and go our own path or go our own way. The Lord is merciful enough to tell us the commands. He's merciful enough to give us the strength to obey what he tells us to do. Now, isn't it, isn't it real mercy? Because wouldn't it be confusing if you didn't understand or didn't know? That'd be, that'd be almost unjust for him to correct you over something that you didn't have any knowledge of. But it seems pretty fair if he says, don't do this, and then I go and do, don't do this or else, and then I go and do this. It's like, but, but your kids don't get this because, you know, you can tell your kids 50 times not to do something, and then you do it, and you, you, you drop the hammer. And they look at you like, what are you doing? <laughs> and we don't communicate. The idea doesn't translate in our mind when we're, when we're the guilty party that it's not what they did, it's what I did. That's what you got to train your kids. Okay. So <laughs> these kind of judgments come from God to shake us up and to wake us up. Okay. I, 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 but, but for some reason, as humans, we tend to blame God for the calamity. So if God says he's going, if you do this, I'll shut up the heaven and not let it rain. Then he shuts up the heaven and it doesn't rain. We have a tendency as humans to be mad at God. You know, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy to me because it's like we all know the law of gravity is here, right? We all know the law of gravity is here. It's a wonderful thing. It's a blessing in your life. 
as long as you obey it. But if you're going to get up on top of this building and jump off, and, you, and the law of gravity is still in effect, whether you're on the ground or up on that roof, right? And it matters. And you jump off of that roof and you break your knee, you bust your leg up, it would be just as foolish for you to get up and say, God, how come you gave gravity? Well, so you wouldn't float out into space, you knucklehead. He gave it to you as a blessing. You violated it. It becomes what the Bible would call a curse or a problem in your life. But it would be foolish for me to get up off that ground and say, shake my fist at God and said, why gravity? It goes for all the commands of God. Why would God say do this? Well, it's in your best interest. And what happens to us as we grow and we mature in Christ, we realize that these aren't boundaries that keep us out of other things. These are boundaries that keep us safe. These are things that help us prosper in our lives. All right? So God says, if, if, you, follow, if you forsake me, there are going to be severe consequences. It's a warning. And hey, when you read the warning passages in the Bible, just, just soak them in. There's a lot of warning passages in the, in the New Testament too, especially the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews will make your eyes cross like, oh, Lord. I mean, it, it's, it's got some serious, it's got about six different warnings in Hebrews that are very, that cause scholars to scratch their heads still today. But this is what I do. When I read the warning passages, I just, I just try to soak it in. Yes, Lord. I may not understand it all, but how, you know, I don't understand the voltage of electricity that is on that other side in that transformer on that box. But I do understand that sign that says, do not cross this, this threshold, you know, no trespassing. So I don't understand the electricity on the other side. I do understand the sign. The best idea for you is not to go figure out the electricity. The best deal is just, just read the sign. Just stay right where you are. It's the same with God, no? Okay. Now, helping, helping us stay in check in order to forsake the lies that keep us bound is a part of God's mercy. It really is. Commandments are a part of mercy. Okay. Consequences, you know, it's not even so much that God is, in, in some cases, it's not even so much that God just tick for tack, just is all of a sudden thumping you on the head and said, don't do that, or sending a particular judgment. Sometimes it's just the law. You know, it's just the, the law of nature or the law of, of God. There is a law of sin and death, that if you do certain things, consequences and death kick in. And it's not like God's just puppet mastering every single decision and problem. It's that there are laws. Does that make sense to you? There are laws that are in action that if this happens, if you do this, this will be the consequence of it. So you've got to think about that kind of thing. God's letting us in that this is the way the universe works. Okay? This is the way my world works. This is what you're part of. All right? All right. Now, so God's not the problem. God's not the problem at all. He is saying that if you're in trouble, I'm probably not the problem. Now, again, that's a revelation for a lot of folks. We're, and the reason we're asking, God, why don't you do something? Well, according to this particular passage, it's not, God, why don't you do something? God says, no, no, why don't you do something different? Okay, so we're the problem. We've strayed. We worship other gods. We worship other idols. We sin. God's teaching us the proper way to respond. And he starts off this verse 14 with this word, if. Everybody say if. Yeah. If. It's the biggest word in the Bible. Yeah. If. 
Now see, here's, understand this. God's love is unconditional. God loves you irregardless. God loves every person in the whole world. He loves everybody. It doesn't matter what color, shape, religion you're in. He loves you unconditionally. But living in most of his blessings and benefits, it is conditional. Living in his love is just a part of being human. He loves us. But living in his blessing is conditional. That's where the word if comes in. You see what I'm talking about? Everybody shake your head and say amen or oh me or something. You got it? Yes or no? So it gets us tripped up because it's not really just tied to his love. It's tied to his blessing, these conditions. And for a relationship, you know this, for a relationship to be a good one, both parties have to do their part. You ever, you ever been in a relationship, you and another person, and you were toting the load? They're not putting any much, too much into it? What, what usually happens to that relationship? Falls apart. It just doesn't work that way. Because, see, a relationship is not 50-50. A good relationship is 100%, 100%. And you bring what you've got, I bring what I've got. We come together and boom, it's a great union. It's a great relationship, whether that be in business, whether that be in sports, whether that be in, in husband-wife relationship, family relationships, friendships, all those kind of things. So this if says, God says, I'm bringing all this good stuff to the relationship. I want you to bring some good stuff to it, too. So if is a really fair word. It's, it's God saying, I want you to be an active part of this relationship, this covenant. And he says, if my people who are called by my name. He's very specific who this, this warning and command is to. It's to us. It's to his people. This day it was to the Hebrews. For us, it's, 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 we're the ones in covenant. Jesus has made it possible for us to take on the family name. So we're called by his name. We are part of the family of God. We just sing it. I'm a child of God. That means that I'm in the family. I, I carry his name. So this is to us. We belong to God. And because of Jesus, we've been adopted. Now, here's the instructions in the warning. He says, if my people who are called by my name will, the first thing is, was it say, humble themselves. Say it like this, humble myself. Humble my, see, humility is, is kind of one of those hard things for us to grab. You know, because when you think you got humility down, you just lost it, right? <laughs> humility is the idea of a right attitude and a right relationship towards God. And it begins to, fact, uh, uh, to, to affect every single part of your relationship with God. There's an interesting thing that it says about humility. Is that God will give grace to somebody that's humble. I mean, God will open up heaven and pour blessing out on somebody that's humble that you couldn't even, it, it'll amaze you. But it's the, what, what's the opposite of being humble? To be arrogant or prideful, right? Or pretentious. Pretentious, this has to do with an overinflated ego or overinflated self-importance, okay? The opposite is, is pride or being proud. It says this in, in the New Covenant, that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Say it with me. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Come on, say it like I'm saying it. God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. That's, that, that's a law. That's a spiritual law. That if you are an arrogant person, you may gain some money on this earth, but in heaven, there's a stiff arm running at you like Barry Sanders. Y'all know how old I am now, right? 
I mean, I, I don't know who you want against you, but that's a pretty big enemy if God's against you. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So the posture of humility is important. The attitude of humility is important towards God. Okay? Now, now think about some of the postures of humility. You know, like body postures. Okay? Now, now think about what are, what are some of those in Scripture? Talk to me. How, how can you physically humble yourself before God? Kneel? Get on your knees. Kneeling, that's, that's a posture of, of like a, a, a citizen to their king, right? We see those kind of things in movies and things like that. You kneel. What, what's the other posture? You forgive. That's good. Yeah. You bow. You, you, you kneel. I, I think of kneeling like this. I, I think of bowing like this. You know what I'm talking about? It's a posture of, of humility, right? What, what, about, what about like this right here? We, we do this sometimes in church. Now, it can be a, it's a posture of praise as well, but it's also a posture of surrender. Everybody watch cowboy movies knows that, right? Stick them up. That's kind of what we do sometimes. We just come in and we lift our hands and surrender. Okay? Maybe there's some other things. Uh, another passage talks about how they, they lay before the Lord. Just FaceTime. You know, get a little Facebook. Face to the carpet. You and God. Okay? That's, that's postures of humility. I'm, I'm going to tell you, you need to train yourself to do some of that kind of stuff. Well, maybe your knees are bad and you can't kneel like you used to could kneel, but you can bow. You can bow your head. Find, find those postures. Work them in. T- you, see, pride comes natural because of sin. Humility is something you got to work at. Always. So, so do those kind of things. Because the warning is that in order for you to get back on track... Pride got you off. Humility will get you back. Okay, that's important. We want to get back. Humble yourself. Now, who's doing the humbling? If you are to humble yourself, who who does the humbling? You. You're responsible for that part, right? Humility is your gift to God. This humbling of yourself is your gift of worship to God. Now, don't get me wrong. God can humble you. He knows where everybody's knees bend, I can promise you. And he can hit you right in them. Right in your pocketbook, no matter what. He can hit you wherever and he can humble you. That's not the best plan. The best plan is for us to learn to humble ourselves. Because if God has to do it, it's going to get a little nasty. It just is. I mean, you talk about, you saw that. I mean, no rain, locusts, crazy stuff. In fact, I read a, didn't I read an article this week that said something about a locust plague going through a country or something like that? Didn't I read something like that? Have you ever go, go that's just crazy stuff. They actually have videos of these kind of things in, in the Middle East of these locusts coming. But see, that's not a good thing because they didn't humble themselves. God said, I, I'll have to humble you. I love you that much. I need to massage this into your soul. All right, now, humble yourself. So that's, that's, that's one of our instructions. Another instruction is to pray. Humble yourself and pray. Everybody say pray. 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 So this is, this is simple in our understanding, but it really is lacking in our practice. Uh, it, it just simply means to ask or request from God. You know this, okay? It's conversing with God. I like to think of it like this. It's inviting God to be involved in our daily life and our decisions. It's an invitation for God's help. 
And, and so it's, it's about all the things I'm doing in my life. I want to do them with God. Whether that's my business, whether that's my family, that's the management of my finances, all of my relationships, no matter what, whatever concerns you, Paul said to pray about everything. Anxiety is here. Prayer brings it down. Pray about everything. Okay, so now one of the places we, we come to return back to God is to pray. Okay, that's kind of basic, isn't it? That, that's, we we kind of already know that. And that's the tragic part. We know that, but we don't always do that. Okay, now Jesus teaches us a lot about prayer, doesn't he? Teaches us a lot about it. We see him praying a lot in the New Testament. All right. Another instruction here as it builds is to seek my face. Say that with me. Seek my face. That's, that's God saying, hey, here's another way to get back on track. I want you to seek my face. Now, what does that mean? Well, seek means to search, right? To look for. Now, what if I told you that there was an envelope in this room, hidden, with your name on it, and it had $100,000 cash in it, that if you find it, you can have it and take it home today. No strings attached, just pay tithes on it next week. <laughs> Hey, it's free. It's not here. Now, what would you do if I told you the envelope was hidden somewhere in this building? What would you do? You would search for it. You'd knock over women and children to get to it. You know, you'd do all that kind of stuff, wouldn't you? I know who you are. <laughs> you would do everything within your, your power to find out where that is because that's a treasure. God says, that's the way I want you to look for me. I, I want you to have that kind of attitude and that kind of hunger and desire for me. I want you to search after me. I want you to, to look for me. I want you to find me. I, it, it's, it's, it's like a lover that wants to be pursued. It doesn't just, don't take me for granted. I want you to come after me like you want to be with me. I want you to seek my face. It speaks of an attitude or the, the face idea. It speaks, speaks of, I want your attitude on something, God. I want your disposition. I want to know how you're feeling. See, we carry a lot of our feelings in our face. You know when somebody's happy? You know when they're sad? You know when they're you know, depressed? You know when they're indifferent? The face shows a lot of expression. So when we seek God's expression, we seek his face, I, I want to know how you feel about this. Now, wh how about... How, how important would that be in your life? Let's say you've got a major decision to come up. You're asking God, Lord, I want, I want you to know, I, I want to know how you feel about this. I'm seeking your face, your countenance. I, I want to see whether this is what you want, this pleases you, or this displeases you. I'm going to tell you, if we filtered our decisions along those lines, it would change the way we live. It would change the way the blessing of God comes to us. God, I really, I really want your attitude on this. I really want to know what you think about this. I'm seeking you on this answer. Which way should I go? Okay. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 6, 33. He says, I, I want you to seek first the kingdom. I want you to look for the kingdom everywhere you go. I want you to look for the rule of God and what he's doing every single place you go. I want that to be in, in your, the forefront of your mind when you go up there to the, to the plant, when you go over there to the shop, when you go to Walmart, when you go shopping, when you wake up in the morning, when you're in your kids, dealing with your kids and all those kind of things. Every single day, I want you to seek what I'm doing. Seek my kingdom. Seek my rule. See what I'm doing and then get in on it. It's one of the ideas of seeking his face. So this is how we're getting back on track now. It said of Moses that Moses 
had a face-to-face -face relationship with God. He said, all the other prophets, I speak to them through dreams and visions. But me and Moses were tight. I talked to Moses face-to-face. -face. That's, that's, that's wild, isn't it? That's, that's the depth of the relationship that Moses had. Now, here's, here's where Paul takes that in the New Testament. Paul says that, this is, this is too much. <laughs> Paul says that the relationship that Moses had with God does not compare to the glory that we have and the opportunity that we have in a relationship with Jesus. That what you and I actually have potentially to take advantage of and to enjoy is actually greater than Moses having a face-to-face -face relationship. One time, Moses' face-to-face relationship was so important and, and so powerful that he came off of that mountain. His face was in God's face so close that he came down shining like God was. And it changed the molecules and the structure of his face to where he, he actually glowed. And Paul says that what we have in Christ through the Spirit is better than what Moses had. I want to know what that is, don't you? That's important. Hmm. Lord, help us. Seek my face. It's the idea of turning towards. Okay? It, it speaks of a person that's free. Free with God. A person that's open. A relationship that's wide open. For the good and the bad. A relationship that's bold. It's face to face, right? It's bold. Because see, now what does someone do when they have guilt or shame? And you're trying to have a conversation with them. What, with somebody that's loaded up with guilt and shame, what, what do they hardly ever do with you? They won't make eye contact. They, they turn their face from your face. And God says, I don't want your sin. That's why I'm going to be big in the business of forgiveness. Because I want to wipe that away in the shame and the guilt that goes with it. I want this face-to-face -face relationship where you can look me in the eye and we can be open and we can be bold. And it reminds me of what, what the Hebrews writer said, that come boldly to the throne of grace, right? See, guilt and shame keeps us timid before God because we, we know we're wrong and we just don't want Him to strike because we're guilty. God said, I don't want that kind of relationship with you now. Let's get that resolved. So I mean you can face to face. I want you to seek my face. And then he says this. Turn. Turn from your wicked ways. Now who's responsible for the turning away? That's a decision. That's a decision in your soul and in your will. You're responsible. I'm responsible for turning away. We got tangled up, tied up. I'm responsible to turn from this, this wicked ways. Now these twisted up things, these bent out of proper shape things, that, these lies that I've believed and got myself involved in and sin, I'm responsible for turning away. Now here's the, here's the kicker. You do the turning, God will break the chains and help you walk away. Amen. That's important. But he won't help you walk until you turn. That's just, that's a law again. It's, it's a picture of repentance, and that's really important. And it's not really preached the way it should be in, in today's world. Repentance is extremely important to God because that's, that's an idea of desire in your heart turning towards God again. You turn away from that, and, and this is the kicker. 
You turn away from that and how you get free from it. See, the turning is not the freedom. The turning is the decision. You turn and you walk towards his face. You walk towards him. And guess what? By me walking towards him, guess what happens to that? I get further away from that. Whether that's a sin, an addiction that's set up in my life, a, a, a continuing habit and problem I've got, no matter what. I turn, God gives me strength, I walk towards him. He gives me strength to do that walk and to walk that path and to walk towards him. And as I get closer to him, I get further from that. That's the turning, all right? He's helping us get back. So our part, humble ourselves, pray, seek God's face, turn from your wicked ways. Now let's, let's listen to God's part. Okay, God says, if you do your part, you're going to like my part, I can promise you. This is what he says. He says, I will hear. I will hear from heaven. I, I will listen to you. So the implication is that sin puts us in such a state of death that there's a silence between us and God. He won't respond. Ever talk to somebody who you knew they weren't listening? <laughs> How do you feel about that? It doesn't work real good for me, does it, you? I mean, it's, 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 I mean you're on the phone with them, talking to them. Hey, uh, yeah, man, uh, hey, did, did you hear about that thing going on? Uh, uh, yeah, and, and, and you know good and well they're doing something on, they're cooking a hamburger, they're doing something over here. And, and you ask them a question, and, and they don't respond. They say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, man, I ask you, oh, oh. now what's your next response? Look, I'll, I'll call you back, or, or maybe I won't. <laughs> right? Yes. Listening's an important part of relationship, isn't it? Yes. In fact, I'm just... No stones here, but, you know, a lot of marriages would be healed if the, both parties would listen to each other. Not necessarily respond. God didn't say yet he's going to respond yet. He just said, I'm going to listen. Hey, guys, a little secret. You know what your wife wants from you more than anything? I know you don't want to hear this. <laughs> the dishes. <laughs> the dishes. The dishes. Yes, and that would be part of the listening there, brother. Uh, <laughs> that she asked you to do. Yeah, they're not wanting you to listen to respond. They're just wanting you to listen to love them and to understand them. I'm still learning this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we listen. We, that, that would heal a lot of relationships, just learning to listen. It's, it's attention given. And God says, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you my attention. Now, to have the attention of heaven, that's a big deal. God will listen, and the implication is I will listen in order to respond in love. And wisdom. You ever heard of the term open heavens and closed heavens? You ever heard of that, that terminology? Uh, sometimes it's spoken over the tithe and things like that. If you, if you tithe, give of what your increase, God will open the windows of heaven. Remember that? And pour out blessing. Open heaven means poured out blessing kind of deal. Okay. Closed heaven is kind of like you ever prayed and you just feel like, you know, just your prayers hit the ceiling and boom, just drop back down. You just feel like boom. That's, that's kind of what some have called a closed heaven. And that does happen sometimes. God says, I, I, I want our relationship to be so good that there's just an open heaven over your life. That's good. 
Now, does open heaven mean I always get what I want? No, but that always does mean he listens. And I know he hears me. Hmm. I will hear. Hmm. Then he says, I will forgive. Everybody say forgive. I will forgive your sins. I will pardon you. I'll release you from the sins you've committed. I'll release you from those things. I won't hold them on your account. They won't be on your chart anymore. I'm going to wipe them away. I'm going to dissolve the record. It's gone. Jesus, through the cross, made a way for this to happen in a really big way for us. I'll forgive your sins. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 says this, and it kind of brings all this thought together from Isaiah's perspective. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That's a good day. That's a good day. Now let's close it up with this. He said, I will hear. I will forgive. And this last one is a real big part of the blessing. I will heal your land. Let's, let's talk about this. Heal our land. To heal means to cure, right? Or to repair, to mend, or restore back to health. Maybe, maybe it was a sickness or an injury of some kind. And healing is, is the restoration or the putting back right of something, right? That, that's, that's broken. Now, what does it mean when God heals our land? Now, think about this on, on just our nation. What would it look like if God healed the United States of America? What would that look like? We'd be united as one, underneath righteousness, peace and joy. We'd, we'd, it'd look a lot different than it does now, wouldn't it? All the strife and all the nonsense and all the lies and bickering and mess that's going on right now, that wouldn't be a, a part of the healing, would it? That's not wholeness at all. That's, that's being fractured and divided. Okay. It, it'd look like protection. It'd look like peace over our land. It'd look like prosperity over our nation in, in every way possible. It looked like a lot of good things, wouldn't it? Now, what would it look like if God healed our communities? I'm talking about like the ones we live in. Gilbert Town, Silas, you know. That's all I know. <laughs> no, I, I know more than that. <laughs> Toxic. Millery. Millery, yeah, get Millery in on that, right? <laughs> Chatham. Choctaw County, we just cover all that deal, right? Washington County. What would it look like? God healed our land. I'm interested in that. I'm, now, in biblical terms, the healing of the land was, was better crops. I mean, they lived off the land. And, and whether you realize it or not, we do too. We just don't see it as prominently. We don't walk out the back door all the time and see it like they do. In biblical terms, it's better crops. It's better harvest. In fact, it may be more, more production in the harvest. It may be even a double harvest type year where what you used to get, now you get in double quantities. That's what healing of the land looks like in the Bible. It's better livestock, more natural resources. Basically, it's, it would, healing of the land is a healing of their economy and their commerce. And I'm not a prosperity preacher, but prosperity is in the Bible. Blessing is in the Bible. I'm glad of that. We need more of that. Now this, biblically speaking, is a picture of blessing and prosperity, okay? Now think of our local area, okay? We're, we're in need of God's healing in our county, in our surrounding counties. I mean, really, we are. 
and, and, and maybe I, I bring fresh eyes. I don't know. We haven't been here very long, but we see, I, I see things. There's a lot of poverty in this area. Poverty is never a blessing. Trust me, I've been poor. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I was, yeah, you, don't, you don't need to hear all that story. But my daddy was a preacher back in the day when they didn't pay preachers. <laughs> and uh, we were poor. I was the tennis shoe man on the baseball diamond because I couldn't afford to buy cleats. So I couldn't buy cleats, but I'll knock that baseball down your neck. <laughs> so I had to make up the difference. You know, I can't look good. I'll just be good. How about that? <laughs> but it, it, we were just raised poor. I mean, I, 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 after I got a little bit older, I realized how poor we were. I said, Lord. I... <laughs> anybody, anybody got that same song and dance? Y'all raised pretty poor? It, you still had food on the table, but when you look at some of the other things, you... Well, that's true. You go to other countries especially. But in our area, you know, poverty is not, it's not ever a blessing. There's a lot of poverty. From what I'm understanding, from talking to people and, and leaders and things like that around, a lot of drug abuse in our area. And that kind of goes with poverty. A lot of hopelessness. A lot of, a lot of young folks don't know what to do. Not a whole lot of opportunity for jobs and things of that nature. A lot of laziness. Laziness is a curse. In the Bible, it will lead to poverty, I promise you. But I drive up and down streets and see places and houses, and Mama always taught us, you can be poor, but you ain't going to be nasty. <laughs> I mean, for real. You know, we, that may be the only fence we got, but it ain't going to be falling down. Get your butt up and go get it fixed, you know, that kind of thing. You know? But see, a lot of, a lot of things, it just, and it comes out of hopelessness a lot of times. See a lot of empty buildings and deteriorating infrastructure. It's not good. It's a sign that things aren't going in the right direction. We're, we're talking about healing our land. So we need God to heal our land, our, our area, where we live. We need him to heal us. I believe that would include wisdom for our leaders. You know, spiritual leaders, government leaders, you know, law enforcement, all of those kind of things. We need wisdom for our leaders to manage the resources we have. You know, I don't know when we're going to get more, but we've got to, got to manage what we got properly. We, they need wisdom. That's part of the healing process. They need wisdom to be able to gain more resources and attract businesses or whatever needs to be attracted into this area. Heal our land. Heal our area. Thank God for the USA, but this is USA for us. You know? You know, when God pours out His Spirit in Joel chapter 2, He says this about it. He says, when I pour out my Spirit... I'm, I'm going to do this to people. I'm, I'm going to cause everybody to be able to prophesy. He says that. That, that prophesy, prophesying just simply means to be able to speak the word of the Lord and speak it clearly and communicate it to where somebody can understand it. I'm also going to do this. I'm going to pour out dreams and visions. Dreams and visions? Okay. That's, that's a... That's when a dream and a vision from God. Now, you can just have dreams and visions and it be from pepperoni pizza. But I'm talking about these dreams and visions that come from God. That's, a, that's basically a download from heaven of what's in God's mind, and God just imports it right into your mind. That's a dream from God and vision. Okay? That includes new ministry ideas. That includes new businesses. That includes creative ideas, inventions. Where do you think all these inventions come from? Whether they know it or not, he downloaded something to them. 
something they didn't know. I'm talking about new ways of seeing his kingdom come. That we need such an outpouring of his spirit that he downloads information and says, Hey, my mind is for this to be in Gilberttown. My idea is for this to be in Choctaw County. I need this here. Will somebody download this information? I'm going to send so-and-so a dream and a vision. I'm going to get it to them. Now, what happens when you have a dream from God? you got to wake up to get it done. A lot of people walk around with, God spoke to me, God told me to do this. Well, we're not worried about what he told you to do. We're worried about what you're doing about it. That's really where the rubber meets the road for us, isn't it? Okay. I'm not saying be foolish about anything. I'm not saying just be pretentious and go on your own way. I'm saying that when God pours out his spirit, that's what he begins to do. Our land needs that. Our land. Where we live. Our home. We need that. What would it look Maybe God needs to dust off something he spoke to you again or, or a long time ago. Your time's passed. I don't, I don't know what that looks like for you. And not everybody's an entrepreneur. Not everybody's an inventor. But everybody can dream the dream God has for their life and walk it out. I'm, I'm talking about healing our land. You know, because when the infrastructure begins to collapse, it, 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 it's just not good. And the infrastructure collapses because of either corruption in the government, mismanagement of funds, or the lack of it. Oftentimes it's both. You know? This is what I would challenge you to do. I'm, I'm going to preach on this in a few more weeks, get more detail about the blessing. That's what I'm, I'd challenge you to do. It. See, a lot, lot of empty places, empty buildings, a lot of potholes. <laughs> Every time you hit a pothole, pray for God's blessing. How often are you going to do that? I'm serious, I'm serious. These are triggers. These, these, I want these to be triggers in your mind that we need God to heal our land. What if when you see that infrastructure falling, Lord, heal our land. This is not right. We, we, we don't need to be living like this. Okay. And I'm not talking about us living like they live out in Hollywood or Beverly Hills and all that kind of stuff. That's nonsense, really. Most of that's kind of stuff. I'm talking about us living in righteousness, peace, and joy. That's the kingdom of God. And I believe it does translate into the earth. Heal our land. Okay? Every time you see empty buildings, businesses that, that were, that are not anymore, why don't you pray over that building when you see it? God, we ask you to heal that. Bring a business into that building. What if that would just happen? And God would hear us. Because if we're getting right with him, he's listening. He's listening. You, you understand? Everybody with me on this? Everybody all right? You're breathing. Heal our land, Lord. Heal our home. You get the point. 714. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land.